0: When Jeff Bezos soared into space, he could look down on a world that seems dominated more and more by the size and relentless power of Amazon, Earth's largest online retailer. But a major part of the global economy is utterly different. It includes wooden stands, windows in owners' homes, and other seemingly primitive retail outlets. They're called nanostores. There are some 50 million of them accounting for major portions of the global economy for consumer goods. How can they survive? That's a question being studied by Professor Chris Tang. He's the Edward W. Carter Chair at UCLA's Anderson School of Management. His reputation is worldwide in the field of global supply chain management. He's a consultant for HP and IBM and Nestle and Accenture and Amazon. I'm Armin Almey, and this is How the World Works, a podcast of the Anderson School. Chris Tang has taken some valuable moments to tell us about nanostores and the world economy. Chris Tang, welcome.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Tell us about nanostores, why they are so important, and to whom.
1: I think that most consumers they live in the city do not think about people in developing countries or people live in the rural area in other countries, For people who live in outside the developed economies, they relied on these nanostores to survive, to have access to food, even to charge the cell phones. And they needed these kind of nanostores to have access to uh, basic food, basic meat, and also affordable access to electricity and other things. So therefore, they play a very critical role in terms of supporting the consumers in this area. At the same time, these nano nanostores, over 50 million of them, they are helping creating jobs for supporting local economy and also supporting jobs in these areas. To me, I think that this is a fundamental need to support the local economy in many areas outside the major cities in the world. How are they threatened? For many decades or centuries, if you will, The nano stores and the mega stores, they never overlapped because they serve different markets. But things are changing. The chain stores are getting saturated and they need growth. So where do they find growth? Either do online, they can access to consumers in rural area or suburban area or some other cities or some of their countries. That's point number one. Point number two is that is many chain stores, they also need to grow globally because the, the growth in the United States or in the West are saturated. So therefore, that's how they enter the developing economy. So therefore, at this moment, uh, it is ripened for the, these two types of stores to overlap, to compete.
0: Why is that a bad thing? If, as you said, the nanostores already are sources of electricity, for example, in consumer goods, why is there necessarily a conflict?
1: Good point. I think that's for the chain stores, they have the scale, they have the scope, they have the know-how, they have the efficiency, so they can wipe out all these small nano stores. By doing that, they can reduce in terms of number of jobs, and also because of scale and the efficiency, they can actually destroy a lot of jobs, which we have seen what happened in the United States, what Walmart and Amazon have created. Eliminating a lot of local stores in the suburban areas.
0: So this is both justice and survival.
1: Absolutely. It's also in terms of uh, social justice and also in terms of diversity and equity. Because for these major stores, if you look at Amazon or Walmart, it's become very sophisticated. So the employees they need is very few. Uh, actually, most are highly educated, very sophisticated. Then in that case, this kind of big chain stores will leave all those less privileged class without jobs. So I think that could be a major problem.
0: I suppose we should describe how that's happened in the United States.
1: Well, I think that if you look at the United States, if you look at many of the second tier cities, actually all the small stores are gone. And then even in the suburb areas, most of the local stores, they're all closing down. We've seen the trend for over 10 to 15 years and then the COVID, this trend even go faster, and because now everyone shop online, so in that case, local stores just cannot survive.
0: I've seen you quoted as saying that as you get older, you're beginning to miss the personal touch of small neighborhood stores because shopping has become so faceless and impersonal.
1: Is that inevitable in this country? Unfortunately, it's going that direction. I still nostalgic and remembering when i was a child you can go to different stores to explore different things and also the storekeepers actually know you and know your family so now it's a completely isolated experience when you go to the store you you pick up the the food and then you scan yourself and then you leave you don't interact with anyone so but i think that is how the new era is going to occur but i think that. Uh, hopefully that will change. And I think that eventually humans will still yearn for human interactions. I hope that it will stay.
0: We can only hope for that, it seems to me. I understand what you mean about the personal nature of shopping at a neighborhood store. But let's go back to the nano stores worldwide, 50 million of them. Tell us uh, which countries where they are most important.
1: The nano stores, they are very critical in developing countries, including India, including even the second and third cities in China, as well as in African countries. As I mentioned before, they create jobs and also they are the livelihood for many people to run these shops and also to serve over 4 billion consumers uh, worldwide.
0: Well, you consult with a lot of the big companies, including Amazon. How do they feel about the fact that uh, these nanostores may be going out of business? Because it sounds to me as if, if they do, there aren't going to be any customers left.
1: Well, I think that companies such as Amazon or Alibaba in China, on one hand, that they would like to enter this kind of second tier or third tier cities to grow. But then at the same time, I think that they need to figure out how to coexist such that they can also be seen as doing something good for the community as well. Otherwise, even the second tier, third tier c- cities would become a desert. Everything is as you can see the UPS trucks or the Amazon trucks. But is that the future? I think that is something to be, to be considered.
0: Will the major companies, will they have to take a cut in order to maintain the economy itself that uh, they ultimately depend on?
1: Well, I think things are changing because I think that even for the online retailers, such as Amazon and Alibaba, when they try to sell into this kind of rural or even a suburban area, they realize that this maybe is still effective if they have some collaboration with this kind of nano stores. So in that case, they can actually benefit from each other. So I hope that would be the business model they would migrate towards. Uh, So in the case, they could actually coexist. And also that would create a win-win situation.
0: Can you describe an example of how that might happen?
1: Yes. Uh, Let's take a case about Alibaba in China. So the tier two and tier three cities, they are small shops, maybe around 150 square feet each store. In terms of the number of products they can sell is very limited, maybe a few hundred uh, SKUs, stock keeping units, if you will, they have a limited assortment and they don't have any way to replenish the inventories easily in a cost efficient manner. So therefore Alibaba has a new program to work with the stores, to digitize the entire store operations such that they can use mobile payment. So the consumers have uh, mobile phones, even second tier third-tier cities, they can pay through mobile phones So once they do that, they can actually scan all the items. So Alibaba will have all the data. Then they know what the consumers would like to buy. Now, at the same time, they also work with the store owner to create a QR code, the scan, such that the consumers can order online for the Alibaba product. And yet Alibaba would drop it off at the store. So they use the store as a storage space or as a locker. So in that case, they would try to get the customers to go to the store to pick it up. Because in second tier and third tier cities, to make the logistics shipping to a very remote area is not efficient. So this way, they can aggregate the orders. They can just use it as a pickup location for the consumers, such that Alibaba can sell more products to these tier two or tier two three cities. At the same time, also the stores can attract more customers and have more product to sell. So the store can provide the service for Alibaba. At the same time, they can also use the store to attract uh, more customers.
0: So wouldn't it be more efficient though for Alibaba to go direct to the customer?
1: Uh, No, not necessarily. If they don't have the physical store presence, uh, if they ship directly from the warehouse to the tier two, tier three city, they don't have the scale. It would become very costly to make the last mile deliveries. So by using uh, this method, they can actually aggregate all the orders and ship it to the store only. So only one drop-off point. Instead of drop-off in many, many customers' locations, which is not cost-efficient in, in more remote areas.
0: So you've described, then, a store of 150 square feet, something like that. Uh, what about the guy that has the wooden stand or the window in his home?
1: For those even smaller stores in the Philippines, I can talk about the Philippines, that would be call Sari Sari Store. Or in India, they also have this kind of stores. So, for example, Coca Cola, they work with this kind of stores. They can actually provide solar panel that they would use it to set up the fridge. Then they can keep the drinks cold. And also, this cooler can also use it as a charger for cell phones. So, therefore, this kind of small shop owners using the solar panel to cool the product, they sell cooler drinks and also they can use a cooler to charge the phones for the customers and also they can use this solar panel to uh, set the lanterns so that they can operate at night so therefore they can sell more cold cola at longer operating hours for the stores
0: It would seem to me that the wooden stand, the window in the home, and so on, has been a congregation point for people. And now you're suggesting that they can continue to have that function, that social function, using the high-tech economy.
1: So I think this is very critical, especially in the rural area, who may not have the access to electricity, and also that's for, for community.
0: Now, do other countries, the ones that you mentioned in particular, not just China, but India and the countries in Africa as well, do they understand this? Are they trying to facilitate the kind of thing that uh, you suggest, or is this something that will happen, do you think, privately?
1: Uh, this kind of uh, initiatives has occurred already. They also create uh, new innovations. In Florida, there's a mobile app. It's called Tianga Pago. They help a lot of small stores to use the mobile app to order products so that they can actually get trade credits. So this firm can also provide uh, small loans to their stores so that they can buy the inventory ahead of time to help them to improve the cash flow operations for this store so that they can actually operate more efficiently.
0: Now this depends to a large extent, it seems to me, on the customers involved having smartphones do they have them are, are they available to people that you describe as uh, people who are in poverty and places that
1: have not developed that is a very interesting question around the world actually the smartphone adoption is very rapid for two reasons one of them is refurbished phones a lot of the americans they change the phones rather frequently So there are uh, third parties to collect all these used phones to refurbish them and then resell them in the developing countries. And the second one is also China produce a lot of cheap smartphones at the price around 30 US dollars. It's too expensive. But then the used phone even cheaper. That's the second point. And third, of course, there are also counterfeit phones, which is also cheaper as well. So in the case, the smartphone penetration in these developed countries is rapid. So that's no problem. A lot of the countries, they may not even have electricity, but they have access to phones. So once they have the phones, then they can actually have an app. They can develop the app. Also with the uh, mobile towers, they can actually have access to information and also they can use mobile payment. In Africa, actually, it's the first one introduced uh, mobile cash. It's called M-Pesa on the cell phone. So everyone uses it. Actually, they use mobile cash way in advance. They use it as mobile banking as well. So to a certain extent, it's really surprising The electronic payment and also mobile money is more prevalent in developing countries than in the Western world.
0: That's astonishing. Mobile banking in these rural economies, they're more sophisticated at it than we are.
1: Absolutely. They live frogged because uh, many people in these countries, they do not have banks. The banks have the physical stores, then the fixed cost is too high. On the other hand, mobile banking has no physical store. So therefore, they can actually operate in very low cost, makes it much more affordable.
0: Tell me about your own personal satisfaction studying these various kinds of networks. How important is that to you as a person and in your career?
1: I am from a very humble family, and I have always committed to do work in the area of social responsibility. So I think that in terms of finding ways to help these nanostores to survive or thrive in the future is critical because if the whole world is controlled by just a few mega companies, that will will really stifle a lot of innovations. These nanostores, although they're poor, they do have a lot of innovations and also now with their mobile apps, it's also helping them as well. More importantly, I think that this kind of nano-store operations is really congruent with the United Nations sustainable development goals because a lot of these stores, they are run by female. They're also in the poor area. So I think that the sustainable operations can actually support in terms of the reduced poverty and also improve gender equity as well.
0: And when you say sustainability uh, you talk or you infer it seems to me this has something to do with uh, what we're looking forward to in terms of climate change
1: well the climate change is also part of it i think that in the rural area i think that that is something to reduce uh, in terms of uh, urbanization because right now i think that if everyone pushing for urbanization actually will cause more deforestation and actually will burn down more forests as well so i think that we need to have a people that live in different areas to sustain uh, this kind of operations.
0: So we're familiar with the competition between the big box retailers and the little guys who are uh, losing the game. In some of the countries that you've talked about, uh, is there government assistance or are the nano stores organizing in such a way that will help them uh, compete?
1: That is a great question. In the developing countries, There are very few government programs or government subsidies. In many cases, the governments in developing countries, they have their own self-interest. And many of these countries, they're rather corrupt, the government. So in the case, helping the poor may not be exactly on the political agenda. Having said that, I think a lot of nanostore owners, they also have uh, developed a lot of innovative initiatives. So let me share one with you. The self-help program. They said that, look, no one is going to help us. Why don't we help ourselves to, so that we can all survive? So in the Philippines, there is a small venture capital firm. They help some of the stores to do the following. The program is called Happy Noi Program. Happy Noi is means anti, anti stores. So basically what they do is that is each of the store, they're too small. They don't have the quantity to get a quantity discount. number one point number two is that the distributor they don't want to serve this kind of small stores they don't even want to make deliveries a small quantity right so even when they order, it takes a long time and also the cost is very high so what they did is the following different stores they work together they voted for one of the store to become the mega store so this mega store will collect all the orders from the other stores and then they group all the, the orders together, then they place a group buy to make a quantity much bigger. And then they say, okay, the distributors, can you actually deliver this amount to us? And then I will redistribute it to the little stores. So in that case, by default, this selected store will become the local wholesaler. And then that is helping everyone to reduce the cost. So that's how the venture capital also helped them to set up in terms of the trade credit, such that they can buy in the larger quantity. So as a result, of course, it's not free, the money, but on that hand, they are charging a low interest rate that will help all the stores continue to grow. It's a very successful program in the Philippines and it's called noy
0: Why is it that uh, everybody along the way doesn't uh, jack up the price and uh, consequently make things more expensive rather than less?
1: Uh, they do, but I think that for the noy program is self-selected. So that means they rotate, they take turn. So as a result, it's become a community service as well, because this selected store is also benefit by having joining the group as a group buy, right? So when they rotate, so in that case, they do not check up the price.
0: Well, Kirstang, it's a real privilege to talk with you, and you obviously have an interest both in social justice as well as economics, and they certainly go together. Thank you very much. Again, Edward W. Carter, Chair at the UCLA Anderson School of Management. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm Warren Alney, and this is How the World Works, a podcast of the Anderson School. Thanks for listening. Join us again.